welcome to our first episode of Spooky Mountain. My name is Steph. And my name is Geordie. And thank you so much for joining us. This is our very first episode ever of Spooky Mountain Podcast. Yep. Steph, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been working on this for quite a while, so it's really exciting to finally be able to put this out there for everyone to listen to. So hopefully you guys like it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really exciting. It's very exciting. We have been working on it for every day for a long time now, haven't we? Yeah, for weeks, yeah. weeks and weeks. It was a very spur of the moment uh, yeah. decision from both of us, but I'm very, very glad that we're going for sure. with it. Yeah, yeah. Best decision I've made <laughs> in a long <laughs> ever, time. Ever. Yeah, ever, yeah. Okay, so uh, just letting you guys know that this is an episode that uh, Steph and I are very enthusiastic to begin and we're going to be covering different topics such as UFOs, ghosts, spirits, cryptids, anything that kind of very much cryptids from Steph's end, I think. We both have very different ends of the spectrum when it comes to what we're interested in. Um, But it's really anything (laughs) that falls under the paranormal umbrella. But something that we both feel like we do not want to touch upon is true crime. There's many true crime podcasts out there and Way too many, and we're not going to be one of them. So, yeah, that's just not something that we're going to be doing just for those listening. Um, sorry to, to disappoint anyone that was maybe excited for that. But, yeah, we'll do a good job at the paranormal stuff, I think. So uh, just a little introduction with Steph and I. We've known each other for many years. Yeah. How many years have we known each other for? Oh, my God. Oh. So like, many years. You, you were in high school. I was in high school. Um, yeah, so okay, we're talking over 10 years ago, just so people get some sort of reference. Yeah, so over 10 years we've known each other. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, but really, Steph and I got uh as close as what we are now because Mm. we actually shared a house here in the Blue Mountains Mm -hmm. of Australia, a very special house that's quite old, yeah, and happens to be very, very haunted (laughs) very haunted I think we've both had experiences in this house haven't we yeah 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 so Steph would you say that this house is kind of like the basis or like the beginning of your interest in the paranormal or did it kind of start before the house it or was this kind of like the the really the, the start of it all I guess well yeah when I moved into this house it would have been about 10 years old so I think before I didn't really think too much about ghosts really. It wasn't really in my agenda, but I was very much into like aliens and, and all that sort of thing. But pretty soon after we moved into the house, I I got open to a whole new world. And um, yeah, that's that. it did definitely take off in that house. And I think from my yeah. family, my whole family was yeah, I wasn't so the only you, one. So you definitely had some pretty like prominent experiences in this house. Yeah, life changing. It was really yeah. strange. Just uh constant. Uh even though they weren't there was just so many little things that kept happening that you couldn't dismiss and it mm. was becoming incredibly uncomfortable being there. We'd have other people mm. come into the house like yourself and yep. have experiences as well. So um yeah, it's it was actually pretty amazing. I was living there for probably about 15 years until I moved out. But mm. um, Oh, and then moved back in with you because <laughs> we rented it off my mum. So, um, yeah, so yeah. this house has been kind of like in your family for a yeah. while and your mum owned it. And, yeah. and, again, like it wasn't just you who had these experiences. It was your family living there. Right? Yeah, yeah, so my family – my mom, my sisters, myself, and my best friend was living with us for a while as well. And, uh, yeah, they had a pretty interesting experience. Um, had a couple of other friends have things as well. And I could, it's, it could literally have its own episode. It, there's so much yeah. stuff that happened that's pretty cool and terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely something for the future that we would pro- both be interested in is doing an episode on this house because 100%, yeah. 
even because uh, this house is in, it's still uh, existing in yeah. the Toomba, the Blue Mountains. So there's, yeah. there's people living in it still. Yeah, not, uh, uh, not owned by my mum anymore, unfortunately. But someone else. Yeah, yeah. we Very weren't sure. We, are, we were thinking, should we leave them a letter and tell them that <laughs> the house is haunted? But, yeah, when she sold it, they, it was like they, they'll figure out in their own time. They probably don't need a letter. No. They probably already know. Like I know from... Like the second that I moved in, it took a while for me to have an experience in the house. But as soon mm. as I moved in, I could definitely tell that there was something kind of different feeling about the house. And I've lived in like a hundred different houses, you know. Right. I'm I really excited to hear what happened because, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know you had an experience there. That's yeah, really. I, just a couple of small experiences. I don't think it's yeah. quite on the same level as what you experienced. But, yeah, definitely notable. Yeah. Definitely notable. Awesome. So uh, mm. would you want to touch on some experiences that you had um, in the house? Yeah, well, I guess um, just thinking about it now, like there was a lot of this the same kind of reoccurring thing that would happen to me was just seeing very dark black figures like I never really saw a like you know the typical ghost kind of thing it was all and it was definitely it looked like the figure of a man just um all black you could couldn't see features or anything but you could tell there were arms head oh legs. my god um so and yeah I've seen actually yeah, the the last time I actually saw a ghost, I'm go- calling it a ghost, was actually ghost, when I was yeah. living in that house, which, oh, my God, when was that? Like 2012, yeah. 13 probably? Probably about 2013. Yeah, yeah. and, yeah, it was about, um, yeah, one of our friends was living there at the time and I – he got up, left for work at seven in the morning. I got up, I was getting ready for work and I knew he'd left and I got up, walked out of my bedroom and I, and I looked to the, uh, to the right of me where there was a door frame and I saw a man just walk straight past me and I was like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, is he home? I swear he just left. And then it walked behind a fireplace that we have and then there's another door frame that's open that you can see into the kitchen and I saw it continuing to walk through that frame and it went in, straight into the sink of the kitchen. So oh, it actually just God, kept walking, Steph. got to the sink, completely just disappeared and I just – I call their housemate like straight away I was like are you home did you and he's like I've already left for work and I'm like okay no worries all good and I just remember grabbing my clothes for work I wasn't even dressed yet and I got dressed in the front yard <laughs> I was, so, oh I was so scared and I just got dressed and I like hobbled to work and I was like yeah tell me when you get home because I'm not going home on my own like that's terrifying you know usually I'm pretty good with I watch scary movies. I watch, yeah. you know, true paranormal investigations. But I think because I lived in this house, mm. I'm getting shivers. I'm getting like goosebumps yeah. all over my body. Like I just. Oh, it's so creepy. Yeah. That house is also a very old house, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's old. Very... It's like over 100 years old. And yeah, yeah it was not um, not kept the best when my parents bought it as well. So it, it's kind of got this creepy vibe to it, but it's also like it's a nice little fibro cottage in mm. this kind of rainforest bushy area of the Blue Mountains. It's it's It looks really beautiful. Uh, but, but, yeah, when you spend time alone in there, you do start to feel there's a presence there. Um, yeah, you start to feel a little bit uneasy. And yep. for myself, I was seeing a lot of, things mm. that's what I was picking mm. up on one of my sisters was um got feelings most of the time she didn't really see too much she would constantly just turn around mm. and and think something was like touching her a lot of the time um my mom is a whole different ball game of of that she mm. I, yeah I don't know maybe <laughs> she'll come on and talk about her experiences because it's not just this house for her it's been it's a, lot her, of a lifetime of, of things that have happened so yeah, she's kind of brought that in. I blame her, but not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> very, it's very interesting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, for those listening, like Steph and I have 
in the past, like primarily when we were living together, we have kind of touched upon our what's well, mainly Steph's experiences in yeah. the podcast. Because I think it has correct me if I'm wrong mm. but it has kind of affected you yeah in a certain I'd say so way. and people mm. people tend to know now like now if I go to the pub and they're like oh the Katoomba house oh that's a creepy house and they want to hear yeah. the stories and I'm like oh my god is it really yeah. that house like do people really yeah. talk about it it's a bit of a thing I don't know well this is the thing that like I know from talking to other housemates that we had at the mm. house and other people that would come by that it wasn't just the housemates or your family that were experiencing these things yeah. in the house it was I know friends that came by experienced things okay so I know that you know there have been a fair few people that have experienced stuff in this house that's really cool well what what have you experienced as well I guess like the house and then other things yeah it um so starting off with the house as I said like so for myself my position on the paranormal is that I am I'm a believer but I'm quite skeptical Mm. and so if I have an experience I will first try to explain it with other more real life non-paranormal logic um so I kind of went into the house and straight away got a like a very very creepy feeling but for me a creepy feeling doesn't really necessarily mean shit (laughs) but I just started off with a creepy feeling so I think straight off the bat I was a little bit kind of on edge um but for me it was always like smaller things but just constant constant small things that just didn't make sense like I would be laying in bed at night trying to sleep and my door would be fully shut with the door handle locked Mm. into place shut and the door handle would turn and my door would open. Oh, and I know the bedroom that you were in as you well. So that was yeah. the one my mum had. That <gasps> was she had really? a lot of um yeah, interesting experiences in that room. Yeah. I didn't I never yeah. I had I've slept in every room in that house and I didn't I never wanted that room. So I'm it, sorry it, for putting you oh. in there. <laughs> It was, well, it's the room that I wanted. So I, but it's funny, like I can say all that I want that, you know, this house is creepy. It has like a dark, because I do kind of feel like it was a bit of a dark presence, not Mm. just like a, yeah, there was, you know, it was definitely a dark feeling, but there was something about this house that just drew me in. I was so sad to leave. Mm. I, I'm constantly thinking about this house, even before this podcast yeah you know, it's just it's, it's always been something that's kind of been like this big you know yeah part of my life but yeah like other things that happen were just really really bizarre noises like footsteps and stuff like mm. that and um yeah just really kind of things that can be passed off as just like oh yeah. it's just it's just the possums in the roof yeah oh you know, yeah. it's just the possums just the, the possums, insane amount but- of angry possums on the roof yeah. yeah, making human-like footsteps down the hallway. Oh. Um, yeah, and just stuff like that. Like it was, to be honest, mainly it was just the doors. The doors, mm-hmm. like, you know, were That's yeah, interesting. opening and closing by themselves. Wow. And have you had any other experiences, like, uh, uh, besides ghost sightings yeah, and stuff like that? I have. I've had, you know, a fair bit of experience with uh the paranormal and I think it's because I do kind of seek it out yeah so my if I think about my most prominent um paranormal experience it was when I was about 17 mm-hmm. years old and I was in the house that my parents still live in now and right. again in, in the Blue Mountains yeah um and I was there at night time with just my mum and my boyfriend at the time yeah and we decided to do the Ouija board. Oh, yeah. Real smart. Okay. <laughs> so smart. Yeah. Dumbass move. Oh. <laughs> um, so we turned off all the lights and we set up some candles. And it was just like a shoddy little homemade Ouija board. Yeah. And uh, we started and nothing was really happening. And then so at, at the time, my mum and still – yeah, people don't come back from the dead, but my mum's mum had passed away. Right. And so we were trying to contact her and 
we all had our hands me my mom and my boyfriend at the time had our Mm. hands on the planchette thing yeah and it started to move pretty fast but at the same time that it started to move I 100% felt a hand on my hand as if someone had just placed their hand on it to to move it Really? Like that's what it felt like. It was like a hand pushing my hand. Oh my god! It, that was probably my first paranormal experience and my most prominent. But also because hmm. about probably a minute later, not even all the lights of the house cut out. Oh my god! Jordan, <laughs> <At> what? <laughs> all the lights cut out at one time. Did you move the house or burn it down? I <laughs> lost my shit. I literally jumped. My boyfriend at the time, he had to like catch me because I like jumped in his oh. arms. We went up the road to see if we were the only ones yeah. without lights and we were the only house without Really? Lights. The only? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's actually really scary. Yeah, we're the only okay. ones without lights. And hmm. It didn't come on until about four in the morning and we just stayed awake all really? night because we were oh, so you... scary. That's, that's really creepy. <laughs> Have you had so any creepy. UFO stuff? I feel so, like that's... I, this is kind of like where my skeptic mm-hmm, apart mm-hmm you know, personality comes out because I think that I have seen some stuff. But when it comes down to lights and that kind of thing, I agree. I, especially when it's nighttime. It's like, yeah. is that a, is that something or is it just a helicopter or it's plane very hard. or something? Yeah, UFOs yeah, like, I feel like is the hardest topic to kind of really be, explain to someone about yeah. a sighting. It's... Yeah, and I think it, it like – the criticism mm. on that aspect of the paranormal is quite harsh also. It's like, yeah, it could just be a drone. It could just be a, a, a plane or something. But weather balloon. <laughs> a, weather, a weather balloon. <laughs> yeah. But I know, you know, we're both originally from the Blue Mountains and mm. there has been some very, very, like, strange stuff reported in the yeah, mountains. Yeah, for sure. So have you had a UFO experience? No, I haven't. I yeah. – I, yeah, I'll straight up say one time I was like, oh, and then I just, I'm writing it off. I wish I, I wish I could have a UFO experience. I would definitely say the, the ghost ones, I could not, they, I, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you how many I've had. It's very strange. Um, would you say that all your ghost experiences have been in the house or has there been some outside of the house? Um, the only other time I've, experienced something twice was when I was working at a hotel in the Blue Mountains, the Lillianfels Hotel, (gasps) which is haunted (laughs) because it's named after Lillian, who was the daughter of the guy who built it or some some shit like that. I don't really understand. But anyway, I yeah, the I had two experiences there. But that was it. Um Mm. the house mainly, uh then the hotel I when I was really young probably the very first thing that I I ever had happen to me um which is actually crazy because I remember it so clearly I was about six years old and I was living currently at the time in um, Campbelltown before we moved up to the mountains and I was asleep in my bed and I astro traveled like oh yes like, this is another aspect that I feel like kind of it's I don't that paranormal yeah umbrella. like I don't even know where that goes but I yep. I remember mm. it so clearly I remember just yep. getting up getting out of my yep. bed but my feet I remember my feet <gasps> wouldn't touch the floor and I wasn't bothered I was like oh that's cool and I'd say it was probably about a foot off the ground and I remember I could kind of just like stretch out and just kind of like slide like in the air and I went into my parents bedroom they were asleep (laughs) and I went out the house and I was up and down the road I'm like it was crazy oh my god yeah yeah and I was literally just moving around on the road and then I this is there's no one on the road it was in the middle of the night and I was just by myself and then I went back to bed and I remember when I got up I remembered it I was like oh my god that's so cool and I I expected it to happen again because I was so young and I woke up and my feet just touched the floor normally and I was like that's so weird. Wow. Oh, and I all I will forever remember that feeling so strongly of put, yeah. going to put my feet off the edge of the bed and it just bounce back like it it was like a like a sponge like wow. it just wouldn't let me touch the floor. It was you really know, cool. 
that's so interesting to think about because you had this experience as a kid and it's mm. like what causes a person to astro travel it's like you know yeah I it's no not idea. some enlightened nirvana state that you oh. are able to get to because you're a kid yeah like it's not like you tried to make this happen like what causes this to happen you yeah. actually just reminded me of a really terrifying experience that i had oh. sorry to quickly no go for what you were saying but um I was living in Canada at the time and I was having a daytime nap next to my boyfriend that I was living with. Mm. And I don't know if you'd classify this as astro traveling or what the fuck it was, but basically I was having a nap and I was asleep. Um, But then I kind of, what I thought was, I thought I woke up. Right. But then I started to float above my body Right. And then I kind of turned around to look down at my body. And this is the truly terrifying part. I looked down at my body and my face looked like, you know, the victims from like it's like the ring or the oh, grudge or something wait, what? and their mouths are open. And oh, Jordy, don't. Are, like, are you serious? Yes. Yes, and their faces are contorted. My face was contorted and I had blood coming from my eyes. Wait, what is happening? What is going on? I don't on? know. <laughs> is this astro traveling? Am I just dreaming? That I don't know. Is terrifying. I don't know. And that, it's terrifying. So, okay, so you're, you're on top of your body and you're, you're seeing that. What what happens? Do you go anywhere or do you uh, no do you black I'm, out? I don't know. I'm just floating above my body and oh and so what happened was I screamed and when I screamed I snapped it, like woke back you up. awake. That is yeah. hectic. Yeah, and so I remember before this happening, mm. I kept on having. It was like, and this has happened a few times to me, and I don't know what it is. I was like dreaming. I was having a dream about something, and then in my dream. It was almost like I couldn't walk properly. I was really disorientated. My legs mm. weren't w- working. And then I'd wake up and be like, oh, that was just a dream. Mm. And then it would be really hard to walk again. And then I'd realize, oh, no, I'm still in a dream. And it was almost like, uh, uh, what's the movie? Um, Inception. It was almost like Inception. Oh. I just kept on waking up into dreams. And then that's when I was like, oh, I'm awake now. And I started floating above my body. And then I... Oh, saw myself. I yeah. I mean, I don't even. That that's crazy. I, that's I mean, a lot. To, to even think about when I I, I say I astro traveled, but like, I don't even. Yeah. I can't even remember myself looking at my body. Like I don't even mm. know if I. Like I just naturally got up, like I was getting out of bed, but I didn't. Like, I don't even acknowledge yeah. myself laying there at all. I think I was you just, just went for too a young. Walk. Yeah, I was just yeah. going for a little midnight midnight stroll down the street. In Campbelltown, oh, which so is like totally strange. not dangerous as a six year old. Wow, that is so mm. bizarre. You know, it really makes me think that there's some kind of crossover between our sleeping state, the dream world, and the paranormal. Yeah. Because there's also the aspect of um, paralysis, like sleep paralysis, yes. that I really feel like does tie into the paranormal. I don't know how. I feel like it does too. I mean, I've never personally experienced anything, but hearing other people's um, stories is is really terrifying. It's terrifying. And you know what? This boyfriend that I was sleeping next to uh, when I had my out-of-body astral travel thing, he uh, has – he gets sleep paralysis. Our housemate at the time also – suffered from sleep paralysis and so for those who don't know when you get sleep paralysis you're you can sometimes experience like hallucinations but you're awake and a lot of the time they're very terrifying these two people experienced the same Mm. female hallucination Mm. the same woman would come to both people more than once yeah, more than once. Wow. And it's the same person visiting different people when they're in sleep paralysis. It's the same, like, demon lady that they saw. Both these people saw her in their sleep paralysis state. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. I don't like there's that. Some, there's something to it. There's something to it. So um, should we get started on yeah. what our podcast is really about? Mm-hmm. So how we do things around these parts is mm-hmm. that – Steph and myself will have a story or sometimes even 
two stories mm-hmm. if we're feeling enthusiastic yep. um, each episode and we tell each other our stories. These yep. are real-life stories that have happened that we've researched and put a lot of time into. So my one is a story that dates uh, that dates back to March 1974 in mm. Fort George Island, Florida. And it's about a strange object that was found by the Betts family. This was a very respectable family, well-known in the community and pretty well-educated. The mother, Jerry Betts. So she was the president of a real estate and land development company. She ran for state representative in 1972. The father, Antoine, he was a marine engineer. They had about six kids together as well um, and Currently, at the time, during this experience, their eldest son, Terry, is 21. So, yeah, it's pretty much a story about Jerry, Antoine and Terry and what they experience. So the Betzes had moved into a large seven-storey, 21-room Tudor-style mansion. It is the most incredible house. It's, um, you can, it has its own history itself. That house is incredible. Um, so they moved into this mansion in Florida, 1967. Uh, it's located near this coastal marshland. The property was around 88 acres. It was massive. Tropical shrubs, large, you know, moss-shaped draped trees. It was um, tropical, swampy Florida paradise home. Um, so, yeah, it was actually a really cool house. They, they called it a castle themselves because it looked really castle but weird (laughs) um so all the high strangeness begins with a wildfire in some dry grass just off their property one day jerry antoine and their son terry went out there together to inspect the damage so this is when terry the son he discovers this fear and it's near the fire but it did not appear to have caused the fire So what was laying down in the grass was a shiny, smooth, metallic ball. It was about a bowling ball size, just over nine kilos in weight, and it was just sitting there. Uh, There was no indentation to say it was dropped from a height or rolled from somewhere else. Uh, There's a couple of small scratches on there, nothing too major, but it did have a very small imprinted triangle on it. It looked like it was stamped on it. So, yeah, it didn't, like, bust into the ball at all. But overall, it was just a very large, shiny metal ball. So the family thought it was space junk because during this time in the 70s in the media, space and NASA were all over the place. Um, Did the metal ball heat up upon entry and make the fire? There was no burns near it. Um, It wasn't hot to the touch either. Um, and there was no markings or indentations to show that it had anything to do with the fire. So maybe it's just an old cannonball or maybe something just decorative, they thought. Uh, so Terry, being 21, thought this was really fascinating and wanted to take it home as a souvenir. He puts it away on his bay window seat in his bedroom. Uh, a week or two later, Terry started to play his electric guitar. So he had his friend over, they were just jamming out in their room and the ball started to vibrate like it came alive. It started to resonate like a tuning fork, they said. Shortly after, the family said the ball would emit a high frequency noise that the dog could only hear and they would often see their dog covering its ears and whimpering, but they couldn't hear anything. The ball would roll by itself on the floor, it would stop, it would vibrate and then it would change direction One time it rolled continuously on its own for 12 minutes. The family became so obsessed and experimented with it all the time, playing records near it, sitting down on the ground, rolling it to each other, watching it change directions all the time, Um, just playing around with it as you would. It's pretty damn interesting. Uh, Jerry, the mum, placed it on their table one day and watched it navigate its way around the perimeter without falling off. So it just moved around on its own. They kept wondering, is it being directed by an outside force or is it even controlling itself? Jerry stated that if you shake it, you can hear something inside. 
She thought there were three or four smaller balls inside that would move around. There were no seams or welding marks on the ball to explain how this could even be made. Uh, Quote, if you pick up the sphere and hold it over your head and shake it vigorously and then put it down, it has a motion inside. It almost feels like it's trying to get away from you. It actually feels like a huge Mexican jumping bean, Jerry told reporters. Sunlight made it more active, like it was solar powered. During cloudy days and nights, it was still active, but more dormant. Occasionally, the ball would vibrate at a low frequency. Terry started conducting his own experiments, also by tapping on it with a hammer. (laughs) It would give off a ringing sound. Um, And for another experiment, they tilted their table, then placed the ball on the table, only to see the ball defy gravity and move itself up the slope on its own. And at night, the family would actually put the bag uh, the ball in a duffel bag to stop it from moving all over the place at night time because it was driving them so crazy. They'd just zip it up, keep it there. Um, other strange occurrences started happening within the home once the ball appeared. Doors started slamming themselves around the house. They started to hear disembodied voices and also a mysterious organ music filled their residence, even though they didn't have an organ. So... Finally, the Bettas had had enough and contacted the newspapers in hope that someone might be able to tell them what this bizarre artefact was. The Jackson Journal sent a photographer, Lou Wegner, to visit the residence. He made it clear he was extremely sceptical. Quote, you're not going to believe this till you see it, Jerry said, and then placed the metal ball on the ground. Quote, it rolled away, then stopped. So what, she said. Just wait a minute. It turned by itself and rolled to the right about four feet. Then it stopped. It turned again and rolled to the left about eight feet, made a big arc and came right back to my feet. After this article was released, there was a media frenzy. Carl Wilson from a holistic institute in Baton Rouge examined the ball for six hours in their home. He reported that he found radio waves emitting from it and a magnetic field around it. The following excerpt is from the article The Bet's Mystery Fear by Skeptoid. Quote, Some authors also following the assumption that it fell from outer space after suggested, after suggest, oh my God, I can't, have suggested that it was Sputnik or a Sputnik light satellite. This was largely based on what Carl Wilson had said and it transmitted a radio signal. But the ball was a poor match for Sputnik. It had no antennae, seams, rivets, mechanical connections or anything else that categorised Sputnik's globe. Dr James Harder, a professor of fluid mechanics engineering at the University of California, had also examined the ball. The x-rays showed that the shell was made of iron chromium alloy and half an inch thick. The centre of the ball was made of uranium. He ended his conclusion saying it was a small UFO. Even the Navy wanted to get their hands on the, on the sphere. Jerry wrote up a contract advising that they had two weeks to do their investigations, then they would have to return it straight back to her, even if it turned out not to be government property. A Navy spokesman said to the St. Petersburg Times that the Navy's first X-ray attempts failed because its machine wasn't strong enough and strong enough to penetrate the steel, but two subsequent tests showed the contents of the globe. I don't know who manufactured it, said the spokesman. But it did come from Earth. We do know it's not an explosive and it presents no hazard. The Navy spokesman stated after the investigation that it was not their property, made of stainless steel. However, they couldn't determine what it was used for, but it was certainly constructed on Earth. They said the ball would move around because of the small triangular chip in the surface as it threw off the balance. Quote, I believe it's because of the construction of the house. It's old and has uneven stone floors. The ball is almost perfectly balanced and it only takes just a little indentation to make it move or change direction. A short time later, the National Enquirer was hosting a panel of five UFO investigators in New Orleans one of the panellists was J. Allen Hynek. And if you don't know who he is, he's 
commonly known for the scientific research he did for Project Blue Book. He also was the one to develop the term close encounter. So he was among the few people to con- conduct the scientific <clears throat> scientific analysis of reports and of trace evidence left by UFOs. So the inquirer ended up flying Terry Betts to the conference so the panel could investigate the sphere. The panellists all seemed to be quite unimpressed with the metallic object and ended up having the same conclusions as the Navy. The following is another part of the Skeptoid article. Quote, the Palm Beach Post reported on 18, on the 18th of April that Lottie Robinson recognised the ball from the pictures, then went and got her own out of the garage where it had sat for her, sat with her for 15 years. Technicians from the St. Regis Company paper mill identified it as a ball check valve from some large pipes that was used in their factory, and that had been scrapped 15 years before. Somehow that ball had found its way from a scrap dealer to Mrs. Robinson's son and from there to her garage. It was very close but not identical in size and weighed about the same as a bet sphere. The Betz's story even had has an elegant thread that ties it full circle, which is not something we always find on Skeptoid. How the ball came to be on Fort George Island in the first place. After the story broke, a Coca-Cola delivery man saw some similar-looking spheres in a sculpture outside the hotel managed by artist James Derling Jones in New Mexico. He called Jones' attention to the newspaper stories about the Bet Sphere. Soon, reporters were calling him to ask how much his 8-inch stainless steel globes. Uh, yeah, they wanted to know all about it. It turns out he had several sculptures that used them, including a kinetic sculpture using one as a pendulum. He'd made a run a few years back in his Volkswagen bus, collecting scrap metal metal for his sculptures. A friend had supplied him with a number of balls from large industrial ball check valves at his company in two sizes, some 8-inch weighing about 22 pounds and some 10-inch balls around, yeah, 70 pounds. Having no more room left inside his VW, He actually put the balls on a luggage rack up the top of the car and he drove from Jacksonville all around in 1971. He said a few balls actually flew off the luggage rack and were lost. And he's saying that, yeah, they sat there for three years until the Betzers came along it. And, yeah, Derling Jones even explained the rattle noted by Hynek. Quote, the rattle comes from trying to patch the sphere. The company drills the spheres and re-welds them before matching them up again. Sometimes some of the milling or drilling chips drop inside. Was this truly evidence of a UFO or did the family really have possession of a metallic sphere used inside a check valve? Unfortunately, wherever the sphere was will remain unknown as the Betts family. They've actually hidden it in an undisclosed location due to constantly being attacked, uh, not attacked, being contacted by conspiracy theorists. So, uh, yeah, the story lives on for another 40 years and no one knows what's going on with this ball or where it is. But that's my little story. Wow, that is super interesting. I have Mm. a lot of thoughts listening to this story I think I uh, maybe a long time ago I have heard of this but not in so much detail Mm. um the very first thing that I wrote down and I don't know some people might think that I'm a shit person for thinking this (laughs) but I kind of feel like so uh the wife was a state rep right Mm. And he, the husband was a Marine. And I kind of feel like when it comes down to like paranormal stories and experiences, people who are like cops, the military, uh, firefighters or whatever, if they or like, you know, pilots or whatever, people who are in like government positions, I feel like I'm going to trust their stories a bit yeah. more, not because I have more trust in them, but from my experience of those types of people, they're quite staunch and no bullshit. And yeah. they, they don't want to ruin don't. their reputation. No, exactly. They don't, don't want to ruin their reputation. They've usually seen some shit which hardens mm-hmm. them a bit, makes them more callous. But, you yeah. know, state rep and a Marine, it's pretty reliable. Like I fully acknowledge, like 
Yeah. I'm none of those things and I've had paranormal experiences yeah. and I would want someone to believe what I'm saying. And but they had a lot like of money just, as well, just to note. Like they wasn't they weren't trying to get money out of it. They were very wealthy family. No, they, they weren't gaining like, something. Yeah. From it. That's another huge nothing. aspect, I think, is yeah. that like you've got to look at the money aspect. Are they gonna get rich mm-hmm. from this? Um yeah, that's very a very interesting yeah. story. It's just a bit of a weird one. Yeah. I kind of feel like it definitely has the potential of like with the te- okay this is something else that i really like is when like science and paranormal has a crossover yeah. so there's like scientific testing on something that's like potentially yeah. paranormal or like non Same here. not able to be explained because that kind of legitimizes yeah, they're the, trying to the, get answers. They're going to yeah. all the, the yep. top people they can to try and figure out what is going on. What it is, and yeah. It's weird because there's so many different outcomes. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. even cares well, it, anymore? It, <laughs> like, exactly. And that's the thing is like did they test it and they did find something and they're kind of like hiding some kind of results from it. And I also believe that the like – construction of the house like the mm. like the whole house part of it is just bullshit like yeah with the navy not, yeah, yeah yeah like that's Crooked not floors. what it is <laughs> just a bump in the floorboard that's what it is that's what the vibrating is that made me yeah and, and the way I was what I imagine holding if I was to hold it it kind of sounds you know those um I don't know. It was like a real thing in the nineties. Everyone kind of had them. They're like those three balls in like a in a case, and they're like meditation balls, and you can like roll them in your yeah. hands, and they got this weird like chimey noise, yes. and you would like roll them like metal. They're really Zen heavy. balls. Is that yeah, what they're called? They're, Zen I balls. Think maybe I don't know something or meditation balls or something like yeah, that. yeah something yeah, and you, you they're like chime if you and you can kind of feel something inside that's kind of what I'm imagining but like on a larger scale exactly this is exactly what I'm imagining I wrote down also like um I can uh I can feel what the moving feels like Mm. and this is exactly what I'm imagining it's like that you move a ball in your hand and you can kind of feel movement within the the sphere within it you can feel it kind of that like movement yeah. in it oh how interesting it's a cool that's a one. very yeah, good I've had that one for a while yeah. I was like, oh, no, it's, cool. oh, it's not I scary like or spooky that. but it's just no. like a really interesting kind of it's thing. quite light-hearted I, I do really mm. like that and I love like scientific or government mm. involvement oh yeah not that oh, I yeah. fully trust that they I don't yeah. want to seem like a conspiracy theorist or anything but I think most of I us are on the same page with that so yeah, yeah that's, that's you fine. know like I'm sure it's in their best interest to not say some stuff about what they know. But, like, you know, I love science investigating and paranormal stuff and government kind of snatching things away from people. I've definitely got more of that. So, yeah. But what are you going to talk about? So mine is is about... 1,000% 1,000% darker than good. what okay. yours is. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Just good, to bring good, another good. <laughs> feeling to our stories. Oh. Um, so my my story is set in this country, Australia. So I'll begin. Port Arthur, not only one of the most notoriously haunted locations in Australia, but the place that has been dubbed Australia's most haunted location. And it's not only the hauntings that make this site extremely dark, oppressive and bleak. Port Arthur, as a penal colony and also convict settlement, witnessed many executions, murders, tortures, neglect and so much more sadness in old and also modern times. Uh, Just some quick history of the location. Port Arthur is currently a small, sleepy town with a population of only 250 people. So that was of, I think it was the 2016 census. It was 250 people and I can't imagine too many more would be living there since then. Um, And it is also, uh, yeah, a former convict settlement and penal colony in Tasmania, Australia. Uh, The location forms part of the official Australian convict sites. 
a World Heritage property consisting of 11, rem- 11 remnant penal sites originally built within the uh, British Empire during the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, for those who don't know what a penal colony is, it is a settlement used to exile prisoners and separate separate them from uh, general populations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's usually quite isolated, away from life as they would know it. Um, the penal colony of Port Arthur was reserved for the absolute hardened of convicts, the ones who were deemed the most dangerous and reckless and also re-offending convicts, so the convicts who were known to be trouble. Port Arthur exists, existed as a penal colony from 1833 until 1853. In addition, Port Arthur had some of the strictest security measures of the British penal system in all of Australia. Existing as a prison with tight security as opposed to other convict settlements that were in other parts of the country, this prison system involved not just horrific physical punishment but even more so very severe psychological punishment this is something that they almost prided themselves on was the fact that they were using more psychological punishment and torture as opposed to uh, to physical uh, prisoners were subjected to what was called the silent system which meant that the prisoners were hooded and forced to remain totally silent while in the prison something that was thought to allow the prisoners to reflect on what brought them there in the first place and this view of this type of punishment was seen to be almost wholesome or spiritual but really it did quite the opposite to the prisoners. Uh, Many of the prisoners developed extremely severe mental illnesses due to this undoubtedly leading to the um, to the asylum that was uh, built attached to the prison a few years later. So because so many people just really uh, suffered from such severe mental illness, they had to build an asylum attached to the prison. Um, Unfortunately, records show that among the population of Port Arthur's prisoners were also juvenile prisoners, some as young as the age of nine. This location would be traumatising to say the least for an adult, let alone a child that has just been ripped away from his family, forced to undergo the backbreaking labour that was uh, forced upon them at Port Arthur, such as stone cutting or coal mining or building construction. Okay, there was absolutely no escape from Port Arthur. None. It is totally surrounded by shark-infested waters. And uh, during the time of the colony, a bird's nest watchtower was manned 24 hours a day by soldiers, as well as being guarded by half-starved dogs that would take any opportunity for a bite of any kind of meat. (laughs) There was absolutely no contact with the outside world at all, not even with other convicts or family that had been placed in other parts of Australia. It's total isolation. For all who were imprisoned at Port Arthur, happiness was simply futile. Many took their own lives to escape the hostility and the isolation. Others simply could not handle the constant sensory deprivation that they experienced and revolted by taking the lives of others. There are reportedly 1,646 graves on the island, with only 180 being marked. The rest are unmarked and mass graves. Again, this includes the children who were imprisoned in Port Arthur, uh, who passed away from starvation and exhaustion, from only being fed bread and water while being forced to work so heavily. Port Arthur was almost literally a death sentence for those who were doomed to be sent to the penal colony. The unfortunate history of Port Arthur didn't end when the prison closed in 1877. In April of 1966, the town was the scene of the Port Arthur Massacre the worst mass murder event in post-colonial Australian history, a mass shooting by Martin Bryant who killed 35 children, women and men 
and wounded 23 others. This has permanently left a wound on the sleepy, close-knit town, a scar that will never heal. The thrashing sound of cat and iron tails and piercing, piercing screams of convict lunatics are long forgotten and chirping birds and storytellers have taken their place, or so we think. Even if you are not so inclined to believe in the paranormal, ghosts, or the spirit world, I think we can all agree that Port Arthur is a place of unimaginable darkness, sadness, and eeriness. If you are a believer of such things, there is much proof here that would lead you to believe that Port Arthur would be a location of trapped souls damned by the tragedy of their fate. Torture, neglect, unmarked graves, isolation – are these contributing factors that have led to almost 2,000 reports of paranormal experiences that span from poltergeist activity, disembodied voices, full-body apparitions, people being poked, grabbed and thrown in Port Arthur. As early as 1870, we see the very first recording of a paranormal sighting. So this is a long time ago. Ironically, this first sighting is the same year that Reverend George Eastman, who was apparently a very tall and terrifying man who preached in fire and brimstone, dies in the parsonage, one of the most iconic buildings in Port Arthur. Here's uh, the first recording of this supernatural experience is actually only a few months after his death. It's believed that the ghost of Reverend George was first seen by Reverend Haywood, who was the replacement of George Eastman when Eastman died at an early death at the age of 48 from a fatal chill. Apparently that's a thing back in the day. You just die from a chill. All reverends who lived with their families on the Van Diemen's land or what is known as Tasmania today would set up residence in the parsonage in Port Arthur. From the very beginning of their re- uh, residence in the parsonage, everyone in the Haywood family, in- including Reverend Haywood, thought the house was haunted. Everyone in the family except for Mrs. Haywood, his wife. Determined to expel such myths, she made a trap one night after the children went to bed. Mrs. Haywood tied threads across the staircase from top to bottom and waited several hours hearing nothing. As soon as she went to bed, Mrs. Haywood heard strange movement downstairs. She woke her husband and they checked the staircase where every piece of string had snapped apart from one at the very top. The Haywood saw nothing at the time, but allegedly allegedly, uh, felt a breath of hot air before hearing footsteps quickly descend the staircase after checking the thread. The Reverend, his wife and their children, a family who highly considered themselves as dedicated servants of their God, reported that they would witness coloured flashing lights or floating lights and orbs throughout the parsonage which is still a very common uh, sighting to this day when tourists and tour guides make their way through the residence, particularly within the bedroom that Eastman died in. And also in this bedroom, it's something that is recorded often, very often, is a rotting flesh smell in the room that he uh, died in. (laughs) The bedroom is located on the left side of the second story, the same area that tour guides and maintenance workers have heard hurried footsteps rushing up and down the stairway throughout the night. There has even been a report from a group of contractors who were staying in the parsonage. Uh, One night, the apprentice was found wide awake, flailing, having trouble breathing. It took the two other men to pick him up as he was pinned to the bed. Once he recovered, he explained he felt a very heavy weight on his chest and upon opening his eyes, he saw a man with a beard telling him to leave his house and never return. All the contractors left the building and refused to enter ever again. (laughs) Big tough men. Another recurring experience within this particular building is giggling and chatting of what sounds like a, a little girl 
uh, even full apparitions of a girl around the age of six has been seen running through the hallway and then just simply disappearing into a wall. Some believe that this is a spirit of a girl who attended a school that once belonged on the island. Others think that it's a more sinister being that is pretending to have the innocence of a child to lure people under its influence. Despite the parsonage being the first and most well-known haunted building in the old penal colony, colony, it is not the most notorious part of the land that is most haunted. The building threateningly, threateningly named the separate prison is probably the most intimidating building within Port Arthur. Even its construction was purposefully created, created to instill fear and mystery into the hearts of the convicts. That fear and mystery still lingers today and the feeling of dread still overcomes people when they enter the separate prison. This is where the jail utilised the solitary and sensory uh, deprivation system, a reason that many people think has caused this area to be so spiritually active. This is where the prisoners were physically and mentally isolated from others for all hours of the day and night with a lot of the time just sending men and sadly children as well insane being scratched choked pushed and grabbed is just a few repeatedly reported occurrences though what is more so recorded is that as soon as you step foot into the building you feel a sense of overwhelming sadness and despair that doesn't lift until you leave such intense sadness and emotion that many have broken out in tears, sobbing in the middle of the tour. One man was so overcome by his emotion that he was found curled into a fetal position, laying on the floor, unable to communicate, and had to be carried out by his fellow tour members. One employee remembers that one night in the middle of a tour that she was giving a brief history of the building when a man in front of her clutched at his throat as if someone was holding him by the neck. When he was finally able to let go and move his hands, the whole group witnessed three scratch marks slowly appear in on the same area in front of their eyes on his neck. The whole area then began to welt around the scratch marks and the man said that it felt like he was being physically choked by a strong hand. Another extremely spiritual, uh, spiritually prominent building in Port Arthur that seems to always create a consistent and similar paranormal experience is the dissection room, which is the limestone basement underneath the senior surgeon's residence, which still houses a limestone autopsy table in the middle of the room, which is super creepy. It is reported time and time again that after entering into the cold and dark basement, you can clearly smell the distinguishable chemical odour of embalming fluid. This spot is where hundreds of former inmates were opened up and examined after they were finally able to physically rest from a long span of years in the mental and physical torture of Port Arthur Penal Colony. There have been many full-bodied apparitions seen here, including a man who has on multiple occasions appeared to lean forward out of a hole in the wall to peer around the tour group uh, who are conducting a paranormal investigation in the room, only to lean back and disappear into the same wall. This hole was where the servants used to scrape the ashes from the fireplace down into the dissection room to soak up the blood from the dissected bodies. <laughs> Multiple people have passed out and almost constantly there are malfunctions of phones, cameras, torches and other electronic devices. Not to mention that people time and time again seemingly out of nowhere blacking out in this room as well as other feeling others feeling intense pains shoot through through certain areas of their body just randomly there are a few other notable buildings that are notorious for housing well-known spirits or sinister beings including the commandant's residence the asylum attached to the prison as well as the church grounds where one convict randomly and viciously killed another with a pickaxe Though what I find most interesting is that the 
grounds seem to be swarming with the spirits of children. Records show that after Port Arthur was abandoned as a penal colony, the buildings were used as schoolhouses. The ghosts of children are seen and heard nearly everywhere on the land, and they have also been photographed numerous times sitting in windows, in doorways, in the gardens, and more. But worst of all are the sounds of painful cries coming from Point Pure, the prison built specifically for boys, for little boys. At one point, it held 3,000 young prisoners, some as young as nine years old. Explorers who visit at night find the halls filled with the sounds of dread. It's said that the cries of one boy are clearly heard. He laments remorsefully as he is led to his own execution. Out of all the sightings and experiences within the dark and eerie Port Arthur, the most common occurrence by far is the sighting of the Lady Blue. The Lady Blue is a young woman who reportedly was married to the accountant of Port Arthur during the times of the penal colony. Her and her baby sadly died during childbirth. Legend has it that she wanders around the grounds searching for her child who was buried separate to her body due to the child not being baptised, so the child was uh, built on unconsecrated land. People have allegedly seen her appear and reach out to people in the church's bell tower before vanishing. Children seem to be magnetised to her with reports of kids even running up to a person invisible with their arms stretched out as if expecting to be picked up. There are so many more stories and sightings than what I've told here of Port Arthur, but I think you could never tell all the experiences in one lifetime. There are so many. There are so many experiences of this location. Port Arthur seems to be a place that you don't just witness, but you truly just have to feel. Mm. Jordy, that is, yeah, that was really good. That's so much yes. darker than mine. <laughs> I it's love dark. the It's a very the complete dark different story. end of the, the spectrum. You know, it's it's yeah. really interesting because I wasn't sure which way you were going to go into with the Port Arthur because for me when I think of Port Arthur, as an Australian, I just think of the, the mass murder. But um, the I never yeah. really, uh, yeah, I never knew too much about the actual history of it and that's, terrifying no. I want to go yeah. there in a weird it seems very very interesting like I was the same I had really only heard of um like the massacre because mm. if you know by any chance there's someone listening who is an Australian mm. the massacre at Port Arthur that happened in the 90s was the reason that Australia brought in gun control so it's a very well known you know like in- incident yeah. that, like massacre murder that happened in in the country it's very well known and so i think that does overshadow the whole penal colony history a little bit but it's just darkness like the whole area is just super dark who knew it could get worse with with, darker so much darker yeah i I was pretty I, i couldn't believe that i was when you were telling me about um just the amount of unmarked graves as well. I'm like, wow, that is that is so haunted. The amount of children that have been there, like yeah. the torture that they went through, wearing the hoods in the cells, that freaked me out yeah. heaps. That's yeah. I mean, I'm it's, definitely it's really horrible. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely intrigued me with that one. I, I definitely want to delve deeper into that and kind of that's yeah, that's. I've, I haven't heard anything about that. You know, there's like, Hmm. it's, yeah, there's so much more than what I kind of told as well. Like with the, like, especially with the whole like sensory deprivation thing. Like this was their whole shtick. This is like a thing that they thought was going to revolutionize like prison systems. They kept these hoods on these prisoners. They they weren't allowed to use the names of any prisoners just to kind of like break them down a bit further. No talking at all. These prisoners were also, like, forced to attend Mm. church, I think, like, every day, but they weren't allowed to say a word. That would And also, and, like, this is every single day. This isn't just, like, Mm. a one-off solitary confinement Mm. type, 
you know, thing. So every single day. And the building that they were kept in was built specifically to make them feel isolated. The corners and hallways and the rooms were built to make the prisoners feel even more like sensory deprived Mm -hmm. and isolated. Wow. So it's a very, very dark place. Yeah. All right. Oh, cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So that's how both both different ends of the spectrum in yeah. lots of different ways with our stories this week. Yeah, awesome. You know, a bit more lighthearted, a bit more dark and, you know, kind of UFO-y and then Yeah, the I think we're definitely going to touch touch on all of the above. Um, yeah, I hope you guys really like the story. Sorry, sorry if we sounded a little bit nervous and a bit weird, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. But, yeah, it was really fun. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed listening. And, Jordy, do you want to let them know where they can find us? Yeah, so we're on uh, social media all across the board. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch and YouTube. Our uh, social media handle is Spooky Mountain Podcast and that's on Instagram, the Facebook group and YouTube. So if you did want to contact us, you can reach out to us on any of those platforms um our episodes are going to be uploaded each week to youtube with some really cool mm-hmm. visuals that our amazing staff has created herself mm-hmm. and that's also going to include captions if you just so happen to need to use captions as well so yeah it's going to be everywhere yeah yeah yeah. twitch as well which is a bit of we've got that there already with the name taken we do a bit of gaming ourselves both of us so one day we'll be on there and it'll be a cool way to talk to you guys as well Um, yeah maybe one day we could do like creepy we got to do slender man i mean that game is terrifying i mean there's a lot we could do so i think that would be a really fun thing to do um yeah but thanks so much everyone for listening it's been so much fun to record our very first spooky mountain podcast and we really look forward to having you here again yeah let us know what you think all right Bye. bye This episode of Spooky Mountain was created and recorded on land of the original custodians, the Gundungurra and Bidigal people. We pay respects to the past, present and emerging mob. My name is Geordie and I'm a proud Gunya woman. Thank you for listening.